We are uh, working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you're just joining us, this is a sermon where Jesus basically tells us that he came, the reason he came was to be king of our lives. And he's telling us what it means to be a part of his kingdom. And if you want to be a part, if you want to be included in Christ's kingdom, there is something that you absolutely need, something you absolutely must have that he explains in the sermon. And what it is, what you need, what I need to be in Christ's kingdom is righteousness, that word we just sang. You need to be right in God's eyes. You need to measure up to his standard of what is good and what is right. And that is a very high standard. I mean, if you, if you uh, pay attention to what Jesus says... This is really where I got this title for the series. He said, what? You really pay attention to what Jesus says. You cannot help but be impressed with how high the standard for Christ's kingdom is. For example, you take the commandment, you shall not murder. Jesus says, Just because you've never gone out and actually killed anybody doesn't mean you've obeyed that commandment. But that tends to be the way people think. I've heard people say it. I've probably said it myself. Sure, I'm a good person. I've never killed anybody. And Jesus says, no, even hating somebody violates God's commandment. Or the commandment against, you know, adultery. You shall not commit adultery. Fooling around with someone other than your spouse Just because you've never gone out and actually physically committed the act doesn't mean you're okay. Jesus says lusting for somebody breaks God's standard. And so again and again, Jesus tells us the standard is higher. The standard is higher. You think the standard's here? No, it's here. All of which points us to what is the most important lesson in the whole sermon. And this is where it connects to that song we just sang. The righteousness that we need, we don't have. And we can't get by our own efforts. No amount of good deeds, no amount of religious rituals, no amount of being a good person, no amount of going to church, none of it can achieve that righteousness that we need. It's like trying to get out of debt by borrowing more money. It doesn't work. And so everybody who enters God's kingdom enters the same way. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
That's how Jesus began this sermon, because that's how each one of us must begin. By realizing that we are spiritually broke. We are bankrupt. We have absolutely no resources for winning, for gaining God's approval. The righteousness we need, we cannot achieve. But we can receive it. We must receive it as an undeserved gift from Jesus. He went to the cross to buy it for us. And we'll be celebrating and rejoicing specifically in that truth here in just a few weeks. But that's the whole point of the cross. So that song, my one defense, my righteousness, it's not me, it's not my achievement, it's not my efforts, it's Christ's righteousness that He gives to me. And when we finally realize that, and we ask Him, we come to Him in that poverty of spirit, we ask Him to make us righteous, then He welcomes us into His kingdom. And then He begins His work where His righteousness begins to transform us from the inside out as we rely on Him. And that's really what we're seeing again and again now throughout this sermon. How much we need Him. How much we need to rely on Him to live the righteous life that He requires by depending on Him. Frankly, it's very challenging. Because relying on Jesus and living righteously the way he wants us to, that goes contrary to our natural inclinations. Now, it's worth it. It is totally, completely worth it. It's more than worth it. But it doesn't come naturally. So sometimes it might seem simpler and easier just to fake it. To act like a Christian, to use the phrase we used last message. Acting like a Christian in the sense of playing a role, playing a part, performing, um, putting on a show, trying to appear righteous rather than actually live righteously, wanting other people to think we're better than we really are. Now that's what comes naturally, doesn't it? Don't you want to have people think you're better than you are? I do. But Jesus tells us not to do that, not to live that way. Because when you live to get other people to admire you, when you live for the reward of human admiration, that's all you get. And you miss out on the incredibly superior reward that God has for you and wants to give you. So that is what Jesus is talking about in the section of the sermon that we have now come to in chapter 6. Last time I said the main point of this whole section is don't act like a Christian. In other words, don't, don't fake it. Don't seek to appear righteous. Instead, seek to actually live righteously in dependence on Christ and the way, the way to do that, the way not to fake it, the way not to act like a Christian, 
is to go ahead and do the righteous things Jesus wants us to do, but to do them for God's reward, the reward he wants to give us, instead of simply being admired by other people. And then in the rest of this section, he gives us examples of what it looks like to do that. And so we're going to look at the first of those examples here in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. So let's take a look at it. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. That's that whole, don't act like a Christian. Don't fake it. Don't perform in order to be admired by people. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, okay, first example. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. They got human admiration, and that's all they're going to get. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, so let's let's see how this not acting like a Christian, but actually living righteously, how this applies to the first good thing Jesus is talking about, which is namely giving to the needy. So let's call this how to practice righteous charity. Not how to pretend, but how to practice righteous charity. All right, well, the first principle is go ahead and do good things. So in this case, it means give to help people in need. That's the first thing to get. Give to help people in need. Now, I mentioned this last time, but I think it's worth repeating. Uh, It's good to notice that Jesus' solution to the problem of doing something hypocritically is not just to stop doing the thing. All right, so the answer to hypocritical giving is not no giving. Somebody might think that. They might think, well, it'd be better not to give at all than to give with the wrong motives. I'm not so sure that's true, and that's definitely not the conclusion we're supposed to draw here. The alternative to giving with the wrong motives is to give with the right motives not to eliminate giving. In fact, Jesus expects his followers to give to help people in need. Notice he says in verse 2, when you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy. And this isn't surprising at all because God has made this very clear. He had spoken very plainly on this subject in the Old Testament scriptures. Let's look at a few examples. Deuteronomy 15.11, For there will never cease to be poor in the land, therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Psalm 41.1, Blessed, happy is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Proverbs 19.17, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. So it's clear God wants his people to help the poor. But there's a built-in assumption here I think we need to examine. The assumption is that the people who are doing the helping know who the poor are. 
help the poor, that assumes you know who to help. Well, what about us? Do we know the poor in our world? Do we know who they are? Who is it we're supposed to help? It probably sounds like a dumb question, but I don't think so. Um, And the reason I'm asking it is because there's a lot of different ideas out there about who the poor are. You know, the, the, the government has one definition, the United Nations has a definition, the World Bank has a definition, you might have one, I might have one. But since God is the one telling us to help the poor, we should get our understanding of poverty, what it is, from Him. All right, so let's look at a couple of passages. Proverbs 30, verse 8. Keep falsehood and lies far from me, this man prays, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. So the implication here is that poverty would be when you don't have your daily bread. In other words, when you don't have enough to eat on a day-to-day basis. Now look at 1 Timothy 6-7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. There are no U-Hauls behind hearses. Okay? But, if we have food and clothing, and actually the word there translated clothing is, is the word covering, which could be either clothing or shelter, or perhaps both. But if we have food and covering, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, the thing to notice is the contrast between this contentment, being content with food and covering, versus wanting to be rich. Well, food and covering are needs. So, being rich means you have more than you need. Which applies to a lot of people. In our country especially. Which means that being poor must mean having less than you need. Okay, so here a simple definition, biblical definition of poverty, is when you cannot provide for your basic needs. Somebody is needy, according to the Bible, when they don't have enough food or clothing or shelter to live. That's being poor, according to the Bible. Now, the question for us is, who do we know that fits that description? See, now, this can get complicated. Because in our context, there are many resources besides Christians and besides churches for helping people in need. I mean, we've got all kinds of stuff like food stamps and social security and disability and unemployment and food banks and homeless shelters, subsidized housing, and so on. It just gets complicated. And then it gets even more complicated when poverty ends up getting mixed up with things like addictions, and substance abuse, and mental illness, and broken homes, dysfunctional family relationships. Now, I don't think 
any of that relieves us of our responsibility to help and to give. But here's what it does mean. It means it probably won't be simple. I don't know about you, but I like simple. I prefer simple. I want it to just be, oh, here, you're needy. We're done. Simple. But giving to the needy is probably not going to be as simple as it sounds. Now, I want to read you uh, from a book called Giving Wisely. I recommend it highly. Mexico, 2007. A Mexican orphanage near the U.S. border had figured out how to work the system. American Christians are generous, very generous, but when it comes to the ways they give, they can be a bit misinformed. During the Christmas season, truckloads of gifts arrived for the parentless children, the orphans. Many U.S. churches had heard the call of the Scriptures to help the orphans in their distress, and they responded in the way they'd been trained to respond— Give money, send gifts. Church after church sent truckload after truckload of nice stuff. As one truck was emptied, the goods were quickly hidden, so the next church with their truckload of stuff wouldn't see the vast amount of gifts already received. All the churches were easily kept under the delusion that they were giving the only gifts these poor children would receive. My friend Walter, who was working for the spiritual well-being of these kids, was amazed at the high quality and vast quantity of the gifts being received. He watched as a truckload of very nice football jerseys was unloaded. They all matched with different number on each jersey. The young men were delighted. The photos taken for the church folk back home showed joyous, beaming smiles, but this delight on their faces was not for the reasons we might choose to believe. These young recipients of the gifts knew these jerseys would receive top price in the local markets. They already already had way too many clothes. Americans love to give clothing. Hours later, Walter saw these same jerseys in the markets for sale. Cash in hand, these boys came back to the orphanage. That night, Walter noticed these same young men leaving the orphan complex. Curiously followed them, and he watched as they walked out to meet a truck arriving from the city carrying several young women. The boys were able to purchase these prostitutes thanks to the generosity of the American churches. Walter's heart was broken. These were boys he loved, but they were being empowered for evil by the very good-intentioned but ignorant generosity of the churches. That's what I mean when I say it's probably not going to be simple. What do we need? Well, what we need is a balance of compassion and wisdom. Compassion and wisdom, we need both. Compassion means that when you see a need, you actually care. You actually care, and you care about it to the point of taking action. Never enough just to care, but care to the point of taking action. Look at 1 John 3.17. If anyone has material possessions, stuff, food, clothing, etc., and sees his brother in need, he doesn't have enough, but then has no pity on him, no compassion on him, how can the love of God be in him? And those are strong words. In other words, if we see an actual need and we have resources to help meet the need and we don't care enough to actually help, it says we're not, we're not demonstrating God's love. 
It's like God's love isn't even in us. So we need compassion. Lord, give us compassionate hearts. And then we need wisdom. Wisdom is figuring out how to actually help without making things worse, without creating an unhealthy dependency. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, the Apostle Paul says, Even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, doesn't say unable to work, unwilling to work, let him not eat. For we hear that among you some walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So God does not want us to give in ways that discourage things like working and being responsible. So we need wisdom in giving in ways that actually help and not simply make ourselves feel better that we did a good thing. You know, that's not the goal. The goal is not to make ourselves feel generous. The goal is to actually help. We need ways to do that. Now, I'm going to give you some suggestions in a few minutes. But frankly, I'm not an expert in this. And so what I really want to encourage you to do is I want to encourage you to talk to one another, talk to your friends, talk to your family members, and prayerfully Consider how to be both compassionate and wise. That's a tough balance. And I think if we're going to blow it, it would probably be better to blow it on the side of being too compassionate. But we need to be both. We need to be both. Now, let me give you, having said that, let me give you a couple of cautions. The first is, beware of selfishness dressed up as wisdom. Beware of selfishness dressed up as wisdom. It's really not that hard to find examples of abuse, of charity, abuse of, uh, you know, compassion in our world. I just read you one. And it would be easy to use those examples to justify no giving. And we can tell ourselves we're being wise when really we're just being selfish. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says that God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to have hearts like his heart. Cheerful giver, generous heart, quick to give. He wants us to have that kind of heart. So we need to be on our guard against selfishness and greed that tries to masquerade as wisdom. Yes, we need to be wise. But you know what? In order to give wisely, you still have to give. Right? Okay, second caution. (laughs) Don't assume that paying taxes takes care of this responsibility (laughs) to give to people in need. I read an interesting book. It's called Who Really Cares? by a guy named Arthur Brooks. It's interesting. He carefully researched here in America people's charitable giving practices. And he found that a number of people believed that since they paid taxes, 
that went to help people in need, then they didn't have to give personally. It relieved them of their responsibility. Now, I don't think that's true for at least a couple of reasons. First, the Bible tells us to give. Taxes aren't giving. Okay, there's nothing voluntary about it. If, something, if somebody takes something from you, you didn't give it. Taking and giving are not the same thing. Okay, but here, here I think is the real problem. Paying taxes doesn't really engage us. It doesn't. I mean, we're, we're not being touched personally by someone in need. We're not acting out of compassion. We're not acting out of mercy, which is what God wants. In fact, if your taxes are simply withheld from your paycheck, which tends to be true for most people, you're not even thinking about it. I mean, you might think about it when you look at your pay stub and see how much they took, but I'm guessing at that moment you're not thinking thoughts of compassion and mercy. Okay? So that's not going to do it. We need to think about other ways of giving that engage our hearts and our minds and we're actually giving. We need other ways to give to people in need. All right, so that brings us to the second principle. Okay, so the first, do the good thing, which is to go ahead and give to help people in need. The second principle, and this is where it connects to faith. Faith. Give for God's reward, not for human applause. Give for God's reward, not for human applause. You've got to trust Jesus enough to do it for the right reason, for God's reward. And the thing he's warning us about here is people giving so as to draw attention to their giving so that people will praise them for being so generous. And Jesus calls them hypocrites, actors. Phonies. They're just playing a role. They're playing the part of a generous benefactor. And they're doing it for the applause of other people. Whether it actually helps the person in need is beside the point. The point is getting noticed. The point is getting admired. And that, Jesus points out, is really stupid. Now, that's my word. He didn't actually use that word. But that's his point. It's stupid. What kind of reward is human admiration? A very small one. And it doesn't last. You know? Sure, it feels good to have people admire you. I like it. You like it. Everybody likes to be admired. But how long does it last? Really? I mean, we are a world of what have you done for me lately? Right? So you you get admired for doing something. How long does that last? How long until you need another fix? And what good does it do you in the long run? You know what it does? All it does is it makes you phony. Why would you want to be like that? You know, you you just play to the audience, being fake, trying to figure out what pleases people instead of what pleases God. It's stupid. Because human admiration, if that's all we want, that's all we get. And we miss out on God's amazing, eternal, lasting, forever reward 
that is the only thing that will really satisfy. It's just dumb. So here's the question. Which is more important to us? Actually being generous and helping people in need or feeling good about ourselves for being generous? Having a reputation for generosity. Appearing generous. Which is more important? I found something very interesting online. It's called the Philanthropy 50. How many of you ever... Nope, that's what I thought. Okay, each year, the Council of Philanthropy lists the top 50, so that's times 10, 50 donors to charity by dollar amount, from the top donor to number 50. Now, I looked over the list. Nobody in this room was on it. Now, Mark Zuckerberg was on it, founder of Facebook. He was number one. He came in at $992 million. Phil Knight, chairman of Nike, came in at $500 million. All the way down to number 50, a lady named Millicent Adkins, a farmer who left a mere $37 million to charity in her will. Okay, you weren't on the list. The question is, if you could be, would you want to be? Would it be bad to be on that list? It depends. It depends. If your goal was simply to give a lot of money to help a lot of people in need, and you ended up on the list, no, that wouldn't be bad. But if your goal was to be on the list so that people like me would read it and be impressed with you, yes, that would be bad. Bad for you. Bad for you. Not because it's wrong, but because you miss out on God's reward. Not because you're on the list, but because you wanted to be on the list to be noticed. To be thought of, to be admired as generous. Jesus tells us how to avoid all that, and we need to trust Him. That's what this sermon's all about. He says when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, this is obviously a figure of speech because hands don't know anything, okay? (laughs) And don't misunderstand the point. The point is not, well, give irresponsibly, give foolishly. Don't even think about what you're doing. That's, That's not his point. His point is, don't be preoccupied with your generosity, Don't give to impress others. Don't give to impress yourself. Give in secret, he says. Giving in secret is not more righteous. It's just safer. It's just safer. It helps us avoid the temptation to seek human admiration instead of God's reward. So let me give you a couple of practical uh, recommendations. All right? First, I think it's important to realize that the poorest of the poor are usually not in America. So consider ways to give wisely to help the poor in other countries. 
Now, I'm not saying there isn't poverty in America. I'm not saying that at all. But it tends to be a poverty of a different kind. Not the kind where people are routinely going without necessary food and covering. But that is happening in other places. So consider giving to Christian organizations who work with the poorest of the poor. Doing things like child sponsorship. That's actually a fairly simple way to help someone who's in need. Or working with emergency relief efforts. So when things like the typhoon that went through the Philippines and those people were desperately needy. Or war refugees. Those people have nothing. You know, there's just this massive need taking place right now in our world because of the civil war in Syria and the nations surrounding Syria like Lebanon and others. There are opportunities there to help with groups like the Southern Baptists and Samaritan's Purse and other Christian organizations. And I do recommend giving to organizations that work through local churches, churches that are there, national Christians, because they know the people and they know how to help wisely. So groups like Samaritan's Purse uh, for child sponsorship, a church-based group like Compassion International. I think there's actually some brochures out in the lobby. I saw them next to the telephone. Those are some ideas. Okay, second suggestion. This one's close to home. Help support our local open house ministry shelter right here in Vancouver. See, the great thing about open house, what I love about them, is that they deal with all of those complications of poverty that I was talking about earlier. So if, some, if, they're struggling with, if people are struggling with addiction issues, they deal with the addiction issues. If they're struggling with uh, job skill issues, they deal with that. Parenting, family issues, they deal with that. They help each family make positive changes that will get them out of poverty, not keep them ensnared in a system of dependency. I wish we had several more shelters like Open House. Now, we support them with our church budget, so every time you give to this church, you are, in effect, helping support them. But you can also support them directly. You can donate food and clothing. There's a bin down in the hallway in the lower building. You can also give to them directly, financially. And then maybe what could be the most important thing to do is to go home Get out your budget, get out your checkbook, and look at it prayerfully and carefully and ask, does the way I spend my money, does it represent a heart that trusts Jesus when it comes to giving to people in need? Am I pursuing compassion and wisdom in the way I spend my money? with a compassionate and wise perspective toward the poor. Do I want God to be glorified in how I give? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are a generous, gracious, compassionate, loving God, and you've called us to trust you and to reflect your priorities. Lord, that's not our natural inclination, but we pray that you will help us trust you enough to rely on you, Lord, 
to live out the righteous life you want us to live. Give us compassion and wisdom to care and to act wisely to meet needs. In Jesus' name, amen.